Again, it's going back to 1984 truly being the year that the 80s became comfortable with being the 80s. Radio Drone. I haven't killed anyone since 1984. Sorry, it's my really bad Christopher Walken impression, and that movie's <laughs> not even from 1984, but we're going to be talking about 1984 tonight. I am Josh Hadley. You heard Peter Smashed Hand Gajic giggling back there. You're close. Give them to me. Now. <laughs> and, and Cecil's back this week because apparently he could make time. Yes. Well, we're not fighting anymore, so I'm back. I, I love that. Every time every time you're not here, you finally had it with me and, and sent me pack, and I just love that for a week. And I well, never correct them because it's fun. Well, wasn't it also we, we were we we're arguing on Twitter about or we we're arguing on Facebook about something. I don't even, I don't even remember what it was anymore. And then uh, you t- you know, mommy and daddy, stop fighting. <laughs> <laughs> we're allowed to disagree, people. So tonight we're gonna be talking about 1984. But before that, you guys need to go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free mystery gift. It's not a mystery. It's a clit bumper. God, I love saying that. Clit bumper. I found out I don't have to beep that either. Clit bumper. As well as free U.S. shipping. Go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME. Now, obviously, 1984 was a big year. Strangely enough, you had two things that ended in 1983 that made 1984 a different year than we'd had in the last couple. Because you don't have any Star Wars movies anymore. You have the slasher boom almost coming to a screeching halt at the end of 1983. There are hardly any slasher movies coming out in 84, 85, and 86, not counting sequels to Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th. So you have this weird shift, sci-fi over horror. Because I was looking at this. In 1984, there's maybe only a dozen key horror films worth talking about. And there's about three dozen key sci-fi films. It's mm. kind of weird how 1984 was much more of a sci-fi year than a horror year. A lot of things go in waves. You know, we have uh, an overabundance of one particular genre, and then we have uh, an overabundance of another kind of genre. It kind of ebbs and flows. And uh, sometimes things will come out and they'll become mainstays. The uh, The movies of 1984, there were a lot of very quintessential films, movies that changed 
the foundation of Hollywood. I mean, if I mean, Gremlins and Temple of Doom brought in the advent of, you know, along with Poltergeist as well. But that was years earlier, were a large part of why we did get PG-13 for better or for worse. And of course, we got a little movie called Ghostbusters. Yeah, Ghostbusters, one of the greatest movies ever made. And um, I hear there there's some other uh, something that's coming along later that I'm not going to be seeing. But um, oh, we also got. But I mean, as far as slashers, we did get. I mean, this was the year of uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, and the first Silent Night, Deadly Night as well. Yeah, that is correct. Well, this has to be one of the biggest uh, pop culture years, I would say, because not only sequels, but you have, as uh, Cecil pointed out, the first Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, we had Temple of Doom, Ghostbusters, Terminator, you know, movies like that that came out. Friday the 13th Part 4, which was awesome. Some nice little genre films like uh, like Buckaroo Banzai. You know, you you had like Footloose and Chud. Dune came out, which was uh, just a fantastically marvelous storm of a film. That was a uh, fantastic disaster. I love yeah. the movie, but I can see why in 1984 a mainstream audience did not. No, <laughs> but it, it's it's still it stood the test of time as one of like the cult films of that year. That's a movie that I still get together with my friends and, and watch and just have a great time with spinal tap night of the comet, you know, Razorback, which is a great little, uh, Australian horror film, you know, Walter Hill streets of fire, a uh, nice little John Carpenter flick, uh, Starman, which uh, featured a, an early Jeff Bridges, you know, red Dawn, a lot of really, really awesome movies. A lot of really genre defining movies. I mean, this is the year of the Terminator. This was a huge year. This was, I believe that's the year that officially brought like Arnold Schwarzenegger into super stardom mode. This is the year that gave us Freddy Krueger, you know, the, the ultimate rivalry between, you know, Jason and, and Freddy that would, that would go on through the years and have people clamoring for a sequel. You know, this is the year that teased the the death of Jason Voorhees. And of course we got a, another one the next year, but just such a and, and Ghostbusters. I mean, we got so many just awesome, fantastic classic films. And I think, this is definitely the year, you could call it the, the year of the, the actual 80s pop culture boom. So let's start with the horror films. As I said, there were far less notable horror films this year, but you you already pointed out a few of them. You had Chud, which, to be fair, was not a notable horror film in 1984. That didn't find its audience until Cable in 1985, because it was not a bomb, but it Chud is now a pop culture reference. It was mm. not in 1984. Then you also had Children of the Corn, Company of Wolves, Cecil's very first good bad flick, Don't Open Tell Xmas. <laughs> Although technically that movie had been made in 1982, but you, you know what I mean. You had Friday the 13th Part 4, Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Alice Cooper in that horrible shit fest, Monster Dog. <laughs> that Spanish movie he can't believe he was involved in. Which, by the way, it's really funny. The original Spanish title, now this is about... A giant werewolf-type creature tormenting a house. The Spanish title is Leviathan. Because <laughs> why the f*** not, right? <laughs> you have the first Nightmare on Elm Street, Rats, Nights of Terror, Silent Night, Deadly Night. You have the Toxic Avenger. Trauma obviously existed before this, but Toxic Avenger is the film that put Trauma on the map. This yeah. was Trauma's first pop culture film. You had Razorback, which was a great Australian flick from Russell Mulche, who would later go on to Highlander. We'll talk about that in another episode. You also had, I don't know if I'd call this a horror film, but it kind of is. It's more of an exploitation, but you had like Abel Ferrara's Fear City, kind of bringing up that sleaze. If nothing else, if like there were no other horror films that came out, and the only one that came out was A Nightmare on Elm Street, 
it would still be a landmark year because yeah. of how like that has just become such an essential horror film that went on to influence countless other films. I mean, we didn't have quite as many, but we had a lot of really good fun ones. You know, we had uh, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, which, you know, uh, is, of course, not the final chapter, but because uh, it made a crap ton of money. Their logic was not particularly good. All right, we're going to call this the final chapter. It's the last one we're ever going to make. And then it made a ton of money. And they're like, OK, we're going to make another one. Because they really, I mean, Paramount continuously tried to end the Friday the 13th series, but it just kept making money. Like, I never understood that. That that pissed them off, too. Yeah, because it was their, one of my videos, I I called it their dirty little moneymaker. It's like (laughs) they kept making them because they kept making money and they really just hated it. That's why they offloaded it to a new line there for a while. They just finally were like, all right, you know, we, you know, this made us enough money. We're just going to get rid of it. And their mistreatment of one of the most enduring horror franchises of all time, it it just goes to show that they, they really don't even understand or particularly care what they have the rights to. You know, movies like Chud, which kind of became a punchline, but it's a really, you know, good, weird movie. Don't Open Till Christmas, which uh, is just a lot of fun, silly. Uh, Night of the Comet is, you know, a little I more in the, the sci- Comet in the in the sci-fi category. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, they're, they're zombies, for crying out loud. They're it not is... dead. They're just mutated dudes. Uh, but <laughs> it's still, it's, they're zombies for, you know, uh, they're, they're eating people because they're, uh, they're decaying. They're cannibals. From... Uh, well, it's it still would fall under zombie. Yeah. So it's it's sci fi horror. It is. I would say it's more 60 percent sci fi, 40 percent horror. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Same thing personally, with like I personally, I love Night of the Comet. I think it's a fantastic movie. It kind of falls apart in the last 20 minutes. But director Tom Engelbert agrees with that, that he was making it up as he went along. And that was a mistake. But the first two thirds of the movie are pretty fantastic. Well, he was making it up because, like, you know, they were running out of money and uh, they had a much bigger end planned. If memory serves, because uh, I did the video so long ago, they only had $500,000 to do that movie. Which, oh, and it looks, it looks fantastic. It's a fantastic looking movie for that and uh, for, for what they had. But, well, uh, that's the same thing with Razorback. I don't think Razorback is a particularly great film. You know, it, it, it's just a monster on the loose film, really, just in Australia. It's what a beautiful sets, film. Right. What sets yeah. Razorback apart is how gorgeous it looks. Because Russell Mulche used, and I brought this up, I don't know how many times. Remember Joe Dante said the cheapest special effect is color. The film is drenched in color, which makes it look so much more expensive and stylized than if they'd shot it like a fucking Saw movie. You know, so Razorback is a beautiful film. It's just not a great film. For everybody. Toxic Avenger was everywhere. I remember you could, ads were on MTV, Entertainment Tonight. Entertainment Tonight covered Toxic Avenger. Wow. Like that was going to happen outside of the 80s, huh? No, that would never happen like today if, uh, you know, some independent, you know, really independent company came along and made a movie that was along the lines of Toxic Avenger. It just it wouldn't even be a blip. It would probably be mentioned on like a bunch of uh, websites. It'd be something that I would probably cover, but uh, not all the way up that high. Uh, I mean, but it it showed how much promise and how beloved the you know trauma was right out of the gate and trauma i mean they're still chugging along i mean i like i think that um 
as far as like somebody like them and Empire and Full Moon, like Full Moon really lost their way. They made some fantastic movies, but as of lately, they're making these $5 just not good films. But Troma, they made low budget bad movies. They were they kept getting better and better and better. And they made I mean, Tromeo and Juliet was winning like awards. I don't really like that one. I, I like more of the class of Newcomb highs and the toxic Avengers and some of their weirder stuff like monster in the closet. And that I was never a big Tromeo and Juliet fan. It just, I don't know, maybe because I hate Shakespeare, even a parody of Shakespeare doesn't work for me. Well, it had Debbie Roshan in it. And you know, that was, uh, that was good enough for me. I like Tromeo and Juliet. I really like the vast majority of trauma films that I think all of the first party trauma films. I like the only stuff that of theirs that I end up not particularly caring for is some of the stuff that they picked up, uh, you know, from, from other people. Like I wasn't particularly crazy about redneck zombies and that you know kind what? of thing. You know, you know what? I'm going to shut you down. We're going to talk. We're going to do a whole episode on trauma next week. Nice. I just decided that's next week's topic. Trauma. Okay. Okay. That's so let, let's go back to 1984. We'll talk trauma next week because we can get a whole hour out of that. Yeah, <laughs> we, get, we get more than an hour out of trauma. <laughs> well, 1984 was a great year for like little sleazy horror films that would end up becoming much bigger as time went on, like uh, achieving cult status and whatnot. Uh, Toxic Avenger. I don't know if I'd really define it as a horror film, but I think a lot of people do lump it into the horror genre just because of how gory it is. Fear City is a great little underrated Abel Ferrara film about a ninja serial killer and Tom Berenger trying to stop him. It's fantastic and has a, a great climax at the end of them uh, you know, fighting it out in, a, in an alley like a boxer versus karate guy. And this, the whole movie is drenched in creepy shadow and neon and just lots of lots of sleazy, gory violence. It also has Melanie Griffith before her face melted. Yeah. <laughs> She's a stripper in this, too. Yeah, that she is. That's a really cool one. Uh, other other films that achieve, achieve more sort of cult status, like the really awesome Bruno Mattai movie Rats Night of Terror, which like combines creature features and Mad Max and Night of the Living Dead, of all things, into, into one really, really fun, colorful, over-the-top, and creepy movie. Um, it, it's probably one of my favorite, uh, it might actually be my favorite Bruno Mattai film. Also, of course, Chud. Of course, Chud is another one of those where it, it wasn't really huge in its year, but ended up becoming referenced in almost everything. There, there are freaking references to Chud in, in The Simpsons. I think that was the first time I ever I ever caught wind of it is when I was a kid watching The Simpsons. And Homer that's said, when the Chuds came at me. That's when the Chuds came at me. And I was like, what the f*** is a Chud? And then I ended up finding out about it later. And it's a, it's a movie I haven't seen in a while but i remember it having like like a magic to it it's one of those movies that you you kind of like going back to you watch it and feel like it probably could have been better but then it, it sticks with you i don't know it's it's weird but as far as horror goes we had some great little little cult icon films knock out awesome fests when it comes to establishing a character like freddy krueger like a nightmare on elm street blindsided everybody that was a huge film that was um a landmark film for New Line Cinema. I believe that was like their first big picture or maybe even their first movie. Maybe not. I think... Um, no, um, New Line had been around since the late yeah, 70s. But they put yeah, out... This uh, was, just, just like Toxic Avenger put Troma on the map, Yeah, Nightmare put New Line on the map. Yeah, that is... 
that established them as an actual marketable company. Like they, they, um, they put out Hills Have Eyes and stuff too, didn't they? Or was I, that I'm, right? I'm pretty sure they did, but it became they became so synonymous with Nightmare on Elm Street that in the later '80s they became known as the house that Freddy built. Yeah, <laughs> because that was their the only reason. Because remember, they had bomb after bomb after bomb in the '80s, except Nightmare on Elm Street. That was the only franchise keeping the company afloat. Yeah, like a character like Freddy being introduced and then Friday the 13th Part 4, which to a lot of people is considered the best of the of the Friday the 13th. So like I think Blasphemy Part, uh, part 6. I'm not saying it's my favorite. I'm saying a lot of people say it's their favorite. A lot of people say that Part 4 and 7 are their favorite Fridays. And there is a reason for that. Those two are probably two of the most polished in the series. My personal favorites are 3 and 6 which I was getting to, but a lot of people really love part four. A lot of people really love the injection of, of Corey Feldman as Tommy Jarvis, that it went back to the, the creepier format that parts one and two were, you know, Tom Savini coming back to do, to do the makeup. It's, um, it's a lot more violent than most of the other sequels too. Uh, of course the fantastic, uh, Crispin Glover dance, which, um, I mean, that movie was uh, was almost a, a big uh, establishing point, launch off point for my show because I was using that song as my intro and I would start every episode with Crispin Glover starting to dance because I don't know that that to me, I consider to be one of the more kind of like uh, wacky, low budget horror, low budget movie moments is just Crispin Glover doing this insane dance to this like synth pop song. So it's a movie that that stuck with me since I was a kid and something that obviously ended up influencing me later on. It's a huge staple, of course, in the Friday the 13th franchise because it's this one that lied about being the last film. And then, uh, ironically enough, in that same year, you have Freddy Krueger being introduced, which which maybe you could think that that could have been an influence on continuing the series, too, because there was this this great opportunity to start this um this rivalry because you have this character like Freddie and then they decided, well, maybe we shouldn't take Jason away quite yet. Maybe there's still some steam left, you know, with this uh, new kid on the block with the razor hand. So I think even if there weren't that many horror films of 1984, there are some really, really memorable ones and ones that if people haven't heard of them or seen them yet, you know, definitely check out movies like fear city movies like rats. They're awesome. Same with like silent night, deadly night, you are really good grimy, cult films and some really fantastic establishing films even if it is just nightmare on elm street it's such a big movie like cecil said if no other horror film came out that year and it was just nightmare on elm street it would still be just as big a year for horror but it was a bigger year for sci-fi you had a whole lot coming out you obviously very key year 1984 then the brutal and relatively accurate john hurt and Richard Burton, 1984, came out in 1984. The far superior to the original 2010 by Peter Himes come out. Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, which is one of the most fun, insane movies ever. You have John Sayles, Brother from Another Planet, Not So Good, Conan the Destroyer, Dreamscape, Dune, Electric Dreams, which, let's face it, Spike Jones completely ripped off for her. You have the first Ewoks movie, the, so you have the first Star Wars spin-off film. You got Firestarter, Iceman, Ice Pirates, which is one of my favorite movies. Yes. Last Starfighter, Never Ending Story, Night of the Comet. Cecil, Ninja Freaking 3. You have the technically never came out, Nothing Lasts Forever. That's a whole different topic. Great idea movies that didn't qu that I don't quite enjoy, but I like the ideas, like Philadelphia Experiment and Repo Man. Although we didn't get it for another year, you have Reboot of the Godzilla franchise with Return of Godzilla. 
You've got Michael Crichton's interesting runaway. You've got Sheena with Tanya Roberts. More PG boobies, Cecil. Yay. And butt. A lot of butt, <laughs> yes. You got, you got Starman, Streets of Fire, Supergirl, Terminator, third Star Trek movie, which I, I'm sick of this whole odd number movie suck thing. No, Star Trek 3 is a good movie. Shut up. Which Cecil? one was that? Was that where they saved the whales or was that? That's four. That's Christopher Lloyd as the Klingon? Christopher Lloyd and John Larroquette as Klingons. Search search for Spock? Yes. Okay. That one was good. I don't know why people. They blow up the Enterprise in this one, yeah, which was, was a, cool a real one. plot spoiler at the time. Yeah. Nobody I, saw that coming. Unless you watched all the trailers and the TV spots, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, that one was good. I, I like, uh, it's not quite Wrath of Khan, but it's still fun. Space for appreciation. <laughs> I believe that's a little, little bit of a Ice Pirates. And, and yes. Ice Pirates is just, that movie is so ridiculously fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, to me, the Jive Talking Robot is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Hey, Jets! Hey, Bloods! Y'all want pumps of kitties? <laughs> yeah. No. Hey, it's been a long time. Find his kitties on Mithra. No, get the hell out of here. Transportation and exotic grids be included. Yeah, blood. These mamas transport your ass to Transportation. We take uh, water, gold, credit cards, and uh, high price type drugs. <laughs> yeah. I heard that. You got the deal. Let's book, blood. This be my bad chariot. Well, no, just... sorry. Jive talking pimp bot. Yeah. <laughs> to rephrase that. Yeah, the the whole thing is just uh, is so fun. I mean, I know Whatever there's a lot of movies. We rape, we pillage, <laughs> <laughs> and like the the ending is just magnificent. With like their their kids, you know, grow, you know, he grows up to become the hero because they're Roscoe's in the time war. being so big, you can't fit through the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a, a really funny, just inventive. Uh, great movie that uh, so many people I don't know what happened like when that came out I remember if I'm not mistaken I think Siskel and Ebert shit all over it not surprisingly of but everybody um, did all the Starlog Fangoria Cine Fantasy everyone called this bargain basement sci-fi oh uh, so the movie was a missing huge the bomb in 84 yeah, that's just really annoying because it's so it funny and uh, like genuinely funny. And it's mm -hmm. hard for a movie to continue to be funny like that is for is one of the signs of a great comedy is if you watch it years later when I mean, because a lot happens, you know, you've heard a joke so many times or things just that context is different and whatnot. And you still watch it. You could still laugh. Then uh, it has a that. robot that gets so scared. It craps on the floor. It craps oil and and like lug nuts mm -hmm. <laughs> that shouldn't be funny but it is yeah you know, it's, got, I, it's got great lines like w w when he designs that super warrior robot why is he black i wanted him to be perfect <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get away with a line like that today do you think the space herpy we'd be able to get away with today possibly it wouldn't it, you wouldn't be able to get a pg-13 on a, on space herpes oh god ninja 3 is just fan well sci-fi action yeah, a little bit of horror it's got a haunted video game in it. It does have a haunted video game in it, and it has a undead ninja fight, you know? That, that so, too. And it has a kind of not really lightsaber-y kind of thing when the blade's all glowy and blue. Yes. It has a whole lot of everything, and all of it is wonderful. Uh, yeah, Ninja 3. I know we've talked about Ninja 3 a lot before. That's great. Um, I like 
I thought Runway was uh, was was cool. I, I oh, like that. Is that, uh, uh, is that uh, Gene Simmons and the little spider robots? Acids that shoot acids, acid. Yes. Ro- little yes. robot spiders. Yes. Oh, oh God. Just, <laughs> just like ridiculous and ju- like. Oh no, I'm mixing up the. I almost thought the ending of Wanted Dead or Alive, where uh, he has the grenade in his mouth. But uh, <laughs> no, this one, uh, you know, he has the, all the little spider robots. It was just very inventive. I always thought that was fun. And, uh, you know, of course, you got uh, Tom Selleck, like as the the not somebody who you really think is like a sci fi hero. But, you know, here he is. It'll teach Magnum to leave Hawaii. That's certainly <laughs> real. Cloak and Dagger, which uh, is a little more uh, like kind of sci fi. It's more of an adventure film. Adventure film. film. But still, I mean, it's like I had watched uh, I hadn't seen it in a long time. I got my you know, I got my wife to watch it, you know, maybe five, six years ago or so. She was kind of shocked at how they're they're really trying to kill this kid. (laughs) (laughs) Buckaroo Banzai is just uh, another one that is just overflowing with creativity, imagination, just such an amazing film. And uh, that we're getting, I know Kevin Smith is doing a uh, miniseries that's going to be on Netflix. Freaking awesome. Uh, at the very least, they got to bring Peter Weller back to some capacity. Because yes. I know they were planning. I mean, they even ended it with, uh, you know, Buckaroo Banzai is going to continue in. And then, you know, it never happened. Which kind of sort of happened as Big Trouble in Little China, but not really. But not exactly. But I mean, it wasn't, you know, Buckaroo Banzai. But it's... Um, uh, but it'll be nice to see that we're finally going to get that. I hope that like this is a continuation off of. I mean, knowing Kevin Smith, it's not just going to be a straight up remake. You know, uh, I, I, it'll no, be... I, I, I want to see Lectroids from Planet Ten. Mm-hmm. I want to see more Lectroids from Planet Ten. John Big Booty better return. I, no. I, I believe it was Christopher Lloyd that was John Big Booty. I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the other thing, too. The cast in that is just ridiculous. The amount of like people that went on to be huge it, it, it like you go back and you watch it it's like jeff goldblum ellen barkin oh you know clancy brown <laughs> clancy brown ellen what the you know john lithgow christopher lloyd it's like holy crap everyone in this movie is awesome you, you have other key ones like terminator obviously that was i'd say along with nightmare on elm street was probably the biggest non-studio film of the year i mean yeah mm-hmm. you know it, it was a studio film but you know what i mean it was a low budget little film from hemdale that and Nightmare on Elm Street, but then you also had some really big sci-fi bombs come out. You had Dune, which did no business. And then you had Supergirl. Now, Helen Slater, perfectly cast as Supergirl. Everything else about that movie is a fucking train wreck. <laughs> and ironically enough, Warner Brothers thought Supergirl was going to be so successful that they pre-sold the VHS. It was the number one pre-sell VHS of all time. Let's just say a lot of those didn't actually make it to customers. Remember how Atari recalled all of the ET carts and destroyed them? God. That's what Warner Brothers did to Supergirl VHSs that they couldn't sell. They literally put them into a giant fire. (laughs) Supergirl was that much of a disaster at the box office. Ouch. I mean, I think we could talk at length of the the greatness of uh, of Terminator. I mean, that's still to this day one of my favorite movies of all time. I still remember. I like uh, it better you, than the second one. 
Me too, actually. I remember watching it just for the first time just on the couch with my dad. You know, I just kind of walked into the room and my parents were watching it. And I was like, what is this? And I was like, well, it's kind of violent, but you can watch it with us if you want. And of course, I remember being completely taken aback and blown away by, by just the very inventive visuals, the colors, this incredibly iconic character. Like, it's it's a guy in a leather jacket with sunglasses, but Arnold Schwarzenegger plays it in, in this amazing way. Like, nobody else could have done that. It wouldn't have had the the same staying power if it ended up being Lance Henriksen, and it would have had different staying power if it ended up being O.J. Simpson. That would This would have uh, not been the franchise that we see it as today. Freaking love the, the first Terminator. You know what? The first Terminator almost counts as one of the horror films of 1984, if you think about it, because it's more it's more thriller-based than it is uh, action-based. And there is action, you know, all the future war sequences and all the gun shooting and all and having Schwarzenegger as the villain. But if you think about it, he's he's a phone book killer. It's it's a body count movie. He's going around killing every woman named Sarah Connor. There's almost more of um a suspenseful and thriller-like undertone to the film rather than an action one, which is what I do like uh, more about the first one than I like about the second one because it's it's such a, a different concept. You're taking more of this action sci-fi concept but infusing it with more of a horror storyline and i think that's very very original and not a lot of other movies did that ice pirates has got to be to me one of the funniest movies i've still ever seen to this day um i recently just watched it with my girlfriend a, a couple months back and we both just f***ing loved it to death movies like repo man repo man is fantastic one of my favorite uh Emilio Estevez movies and just one of my favorite movies in general. Like it's very different and it dares to be very different. Just a lot of really, really cool movies like that to come out. Um, a lot, again, much like much like the horror films, there are a lot of really cool cult films where they weren't quite uh, recognized at their time, but they became more known later on, which example would be movies like like Starman and uh, Night of the Comet and films like that. A lot of, lot of really, really cool shit to come out in 1984 as far as uh, sci-fi goes be it the little films or the big films and dune as we as we talked about it is it's a it's a fantastic train wreck and it's it's a gorgeous film to look at but it's all you can see why it did badly nobody nobody was prepared for what dune and uh david lynch had to offer them with with that film the the weird every character's got an inner monologue and they just go on and on with it and just Sting and his little cod piece. Just what a ridiculous fucking film. You just like heart plugs. <laughs> well, I mean, to me, the standout, as much as I love 1984 and 2010 and all that, it's got to be Ninja 3. Ninja 3 is alongside Buckaroo Banzai as one of the most insane, no way this movie should have worked movies ever. I just I mean, it's... absolutely love that movie so much. I own it on beta. Ninja first Ninja versus golf course. He kills the entire police force with a. He takes down a helicopter with a sword. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, Ninja versus uh, stuff in that movie. There's Ninja versus golf course. You know, uh, Ninja versus one-eyed Ninja. You know, Ninja versus Exorcist. Mm. Like, there's just a lot of stuff in there that they, they cram in a lot of. It's much like Rats, where they cram in a bunch of different uh, subgenres and turn it into one amazing, ridiculous super subgenre film. I I love Ninja Three. Yeah, I mean, it had like the aerobicized stuff. It had yeah. uh, it had uh, Lucinda Dickey when she was possessed and she fought off uh, the the whole like rapists. like five rapists like <laughs> in like the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> it, it had the white snake video in the middle for no reason at all. 
was part of the haunted the haunted video game. That was part of the haunted video game, you know. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, oh, it's just terrific. Well, this wasn't just a year for sci-fi movies, and I know we're leaving out some of the big ones. I'll we'll talk about those when we get to the box office. I'm leaving those out specifically. But you had a lot of non-sci-fi movies as well, like. Milos Forman's Amadeus, which is, you know, the big Oscar darling of this year, is a pretentious piece of crap. On the <laughs> other hand, the lowbrow humor of Bachelor Party is fantastic. You know, you've, you've got a movie like Bad Manners, which, let's face it, just like the way her ripped off Electric Dreams note for note, Problem Child ripped off Bad Manners note from note, note for note. It's just Bad Manners is a dark comedy and not the goofiness of Problem Child. But then you've got... I don't understand why everyone hates this movie. Best Defense, the Dudley Moore, Eddie Murphy movie. I realize that we only see half of the movie because the producers know exactly why Eddie Murphy's there. He's even credited as strategic guest star. They know this movie is saved by Eddie Murphy. But I think if you watch it, the Dudley Moore stuff works beautifully. Every scene with David Raish as the KGB CIA agent, he almost steals this movie from Eddie Murphy. Then you've got, well, this one's for Cecil. You got the first break-in movie. Yay! <laughs> it's not an electric boogaloo yet, but you got a break-in movie. No, but the first, I mean, the first break-in movie is fantastic. How can you, like, it's just, that's one of those movies that you can't watch it and not be happy. Like, it just puts you in a good mood. Oh, Best Defense, I, I've always thought Best Defense was funny. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Eddie thing Murphy that... stuff is stronger than the Dudley Moore stuff, I'll admit. But that doesn't mean the Dudley Moore stuff is weak. Well, that's well. The thing is, something can be funnier than something else. I mean, that's kind of the way that it works. Is that you're always going to have something that is funnier than you know. In a comedy, you're going to have you know. All right, this is the funnier thing. This is the thing that's still funny, but it's not as funny as the other thing. Dance, and the dude starts break dancing. <laughs> like I said, go back to David Raish as the secret KGB agent. You tell me, three years before he played Sledgehammer, he wasn't playing a Russian version of freaking Sledgehammer. He's fantastic in this. He's psychotic and over the top where this plot is very serious. Well, the the Dudley Moore half of the plot is serious. Best Defense is a movie that I think uh, it's kind of something that we're seeing continuously with critics is that, uh, you know, they get in into an idea that this movie is supposed to be this and it's not. So but they badmouth it anyway. So, uh, I mean, it, is it a great movie? No, but it's an entertaining movie. It doesn't deserve, like, you know, this uh, hatred that it, uh, it often gets. Another one that was hated, Cannonball Run 2. Now, I like Cannonball Run. I love Cannonball Run 2. I don't want to talk about those too much. We're going to do a whole Cannonball retrospective this summer. All five films. Yeah, I bet you guys didn't know there are five Cannonball Run movies. <laughs> but then you, all, you also have other stuff like Charles Bronson playing a vigilante again in Evil That Men Do. How original. Yeah. you got Peter Weller as a wife-beater in Firstborn. You've got Footloose, as Peter pointed out. You've got Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, the only movie where the writer's dog was nominated for an Oscar. No, I'm, I'm serious. Writer Robert Towne said Hugh Hudson butchered his script so brutally, he tried to take his name off the film, but they wouldn't let him use Alan Smithy because he talked about it publicly. So he put his dog's name on. So the film is literally credited to screenplay by A. Niski, his dog, and then it was nominated <laughs> for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. <laughs> I'm, I wish I were making that up. Oh my but then God. you have another tentpole movie that took everybody by storm. You have The Karate Kid. 
We got mm. Making the Grade, the hilarious Judd Nelson movie with Andrew Dice Clay in it. Got the first Missing in Action. We got Muppets Take Manhattan, arguably the best real Muppets movie. Oh, God, You Devil with George Burns, which is just, eh. You've got Police Academy. Again, we're going to do a whole retrospective, so I don't want to spend too much time in that. you got the Pope of Greenwich Village. They took my thumbs! <laughs> you got Purple Rain, Razor's Edge, Red Dawn, Revenge of the Nerds. For Cecil, you've got Rhinestone. <laughs> There's Romancing the Stone. <laughs> 16 <laughs> Candles, Splash. You've got Swing Shift, Tank, Teachers, which is really a... a down and dirty comedy. I really like teachers a lot. Spinal Tap, Tightrope, which I I consider an unofficial Dirty Harry movie because if Dirty Harry were more racist and corrupt, he'd be t in Tightrope. Got uh, Top Secret, Up the Creek, The Wildlife. Well, we continue the trend of 1984 being an absolute pop culture year. I mean, it's it's no contest really. You got Spinal Tap. You've got you know, missing an action, you know, introducing the world to more Chuck Norris. You got the Karate Kid, Ghostbusters, you know, Footloose, all these amazingly 80s films. Like this was this was the one of the pinpoint years of the 80s really becoming the 80s, you know, with the Terminator and Karate Kid and Ghostbusters and Footloose and Breakin' and all these movies. It was all about the neon and and the robots and the synth wave and the breakdancing and the dancing in general. Like it was really the 80s getting comfortable with being the 80s. And it's fantastic. Oh, just so many like uh, really amazing, awesome, like hilarious, great, just such a variety of weird and imaginative and fun movies. Uh, I would splash be i mean that's well more more comedy i mean with... i think it's more comedy but i do remember splash being covered in all the sci-fi magazines so i guess it's technically a sci-fi movie too uh starman i think is the unappreciated carpenter film mm -hmm. uh so good just that's awesome it's really... so weird it's really weird seeing jeff bridges look ripped yeah like, he's freaking <laughs> he's jacked he looks like Captain jenny America. hayden yeah <laughs> Yeah, he was totally jacked. And even the I really liked the uh, the spinoff TV show with mm. um with the God. I keep thinking uh, Cade uh, Robert from Hayes. Robert Hayes, but he, you know, or Dade, Dade Murphy, whatever his Dade character Murphy was from from, ta from time tracks, his or Dade. Dade uh, Murphy is Johnny Dade, Miller's character from Hackers, you dork. Dar f I was way. All right. Darian Lambert. All right. But anyway, but yeah, I mean, uh, but you had. You had him in the uh, in the spinoff TV series of uh, Starman, which was also really good. Told the you know the first like episode was pretty much the movie just done. On no, the TV no, budget. no, no, because it, it's been a while since you've seen it. I, I guess the first episode, Robert Hayes is not playing the same character. He is the 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 being whatever the essence that that reconstructed Jeff Bridges out of his hair in the movie finds a new body that's why he now looks like robert hayes oh wasn't there was a helicopter crash yeah he, he was he was a photojournalist who was in a helicopter crash the big connection is the government agents tracking him down are some of the same characters because they're following because it's all these years later and jenny hayden had a child so <laughs> that, that kid is half whatever race Starman is from so no it, it's actually the pilot is not a reboot of the movie it's it's a literal continuation kind of the same characters kind of uh, that's yeah it's been, it's been a, a while since you've seen it i'm wagering time. then 
like I pointed out with Amadeus, this was the year of Amadeus. Amadeus at the Academy Awards won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and was nominated in almost every other major category. Amadeus swept the Academy Awards. Now, on the other hand, we have the Razzies to talk about. Do you, do you guys remember what film swept the Razzies this year? No. Canon Films Bolero. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bolero won Worst Picture, Worst Actress for Bo Derek. Worst Director for John Derrick, Worst Screenplay for John Derrick, and Worst Musical Score by Peter Bernstein and Elmer Bernstein. Bolero swept the Razzies, but some of the others, Worst Actor, Sylvester Stallone in Rhinestone. (laughs) (laughs) Budweiser, you created a monster. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, that one Worst Original Song, Drinkenstein. (laughs) Oh, oh, you were close. You were close. Come on. Oh, my God. Stein was worst Drink original Stein. song. <laughs> I'm drinking Stein. Stein. <laughs> he really looks like he's loaded. I would not be surprised if he was completely blitzed oh when he was God. doing that. His one eye is half closed. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but, uh, but okay, the, the top grossing films of the year were Ghostbusters, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Beverly Hills Cop, which we should talk mm. about a little bit, but we're going to do a full retrospective. I don't think anybody was prepared for Beverly Hills Cop when that came out. No. That movie, Peter, you talked about this being the pop culture year. Yep. Beverly There's another Hills one. Cop hit it all across the board. Not even just the the tone of the film, but that the theme song in that film, the Axel Foley theme, could Axel almost F. be Axel F. Yeah, could almost be epitomized as like the theme song of the '80s. Like that's that's used in almost every parody of like when you're making like a cop show parody or a cop movie parody. That theme song always shows up in something, and it's I'm, I'm surprised I didn't mention that one. But yeah, I love that movie. That's um who directed that one? That was Tony Brest. Tony Scott. Martin Brest. No, Tony Scott did Beverly Hills Cop too. Okay. The the first one was Martin Brest, and again we'll get more into it in the retrospective. But the film was originally supposed to be a non-comedy starring Sylvester Stallone when he eventually left over problems with the studio he took most of the ideas he wanted in the movie into Cobra yeah so in a way Cobra is what Beverly Hills Cop almost was I'm and glad I think, that, uh, I'm glad that for they both, both films it's better that they were separate you know yeah yes. I like I like that we have both Beverly Hills Cop and Cobra because both are fantastic films and Cobra oh, is I definitely... love Cobra we'll, yeah. we'll talk about Cobra when we get to 86 but mm. Cobra is a great movie but knowing what we see in Beverly Hills Cop I cannot see Stallone having pulled this up. This film would not have grossed $234 million if Stallone had been in it, even if it was essentially the same script. This was was Eddie Murphy's breakout. 48 hours, put him on the map. You you know how, like you said, Terminator is the film that made Arnold a pop culture icon? But Conan put him on the map. 48 hours, put Eddie Murphy on the map. Beverly Hills Cop made him an icon. Yeah, this was definitely an Eddie Murphy film. There's no, I mean, I love Stallone. I love him as an actor, but I just don't see him as the funny guy. Whereas this was perfect. This was tailor fit for Eddie Murphy to where he could be a badass, but at the same time be really funny. And he he took the reins with that movie and ran with it. And yeah, absolutely made him the the icon that he is. 48 Hours put him on the map, but Beverly Hills Cop was his like his shining performance that showed the world this is who, you know, this is Eddie Murphy. Get the fuck out of the way. But Beverly Hills Cop also has one other huge, huge aspect to it. Judge Reinhold. No, John <laughs> Ashton. John Ashton as Taggart 
he almost playing the straight man steals scenes from Eddie Murphy. Do you know how hard that is for 80s Eddie Murphy? But you can see John Ashton, you remember him. He mm -hmm. is a very powerful figure in this movie, and he's a straight man all the way through it. Beverly Hills Cop is one of those films where you couldn't, I can't see anybody else in the lead. Like there are certain films that come along where you're just like, all right, this is absolutely, you know, like like Ralph Macchio with the Karate Kid mm. uh, or the entire cast of the original Ghostbusters. It's just like, look, I understand that, um, you know, other versions, they may make them or they might, uh, you know, or they were intended to be somebody else. But when you look at something like that with Beverly Hills Cop, you had Eddie Murphy was on fire. Like he was constantly funny. He was delivering his lines perfectly. The action went really well. It's just that whole like uh, peanut butter and jelly, you know, mesh. Everything just came together perfectly. He was so good in that that uh, it, it's amazing that how good that was. And then I enjoy Beverly Hills Cop 2. But then what the hell happened with Beverly Hills Cop 3 and then <laughs> like be and beyond? Like, I don't understand. We'll talk, how... we'll talk about all that in the retrospective. OK, because yeah. we're going to do a whole retrospective with Darren on all three of these movies and the aborted fourth, fifth and the TV series. Talking um, about and, the uh, third film is going to be fucking painful. That is yeah, a, yeah. And isn't isn't Metro kind of an unofficial Beverly Hills Cop movie? Sort of. And then the Fox made a TV pilot a few years ago that was an official continuation that they didn't pick up but exists. And mm -hmm. yeah. And then there was supposed to be the fourth film, which was going to be Eddie Murphy has to go to London. So it was London Hills Cop. And oh, what? Shut up. Like, uh, but whatever. Uh, the thing is, the first movie's fantastic. It's second one's good. And the third second one is not. good. And well, you had and you had Brigitte Nielsen in Beverly Hills Cop 2 and Cobra. So there is kind of that tie-in between, uh, you know, all of that. There's a, there's a Cobra poster, actually, in Beverly Hills Cop 2. Okay. So then number three, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Number four, Gremlins. Number five, Karate Kid. Number six, Police Academy. Number seven, Footloose. Number eight, Romancing the Stone. Number nine, Star Trek Three, And number 10, Splash. So this this is one of those years where, you know what? Other than Footloose, I like all of the films in the top ten, and Footloose isn't even that bad. How could you not like Footloose? What's wrong with you? Because <laughs> I don't think it's that good of a film. It is. Dance your ass off. <laughs> I don't think it's that good of a film. I'm sorry. Well, Footloose you're... is it's fun. It's uh, it's not great, but it's not bad either. It's just I, who doesn't like Kevin Bacon? Come on. Right, Kevin Bacon, angry dancing in the yeah. farm. Come on. It's just Although, it's a movie. It's a movie that's just eighties as fuck, and that's why it's great. The music, the the atmosphere, you know, the performances. Having a like, it's something that only works in the eighties, and it's why the remake was just shit and completely crapped itself. This kind of plot doesn't work now. It's it's a town that has abolished dancing, and the bad boy that strolls into town listening to bang your head in his little Volkswagen. I was gonna say, wasn't he listening to <laughs> Quiet Riot? Yeah, yeah, he is. He comes in, and he's like the bad boy, and he brings dance dancing back to the fucking dancing. This is the the movie is about bringing dancing back to a town. This is such an '80s film. It doesn't that plot doesn't work anymore unless you completely glee it up 
like they did with the with the remake, and that's the only way to do it. You can't be, you can't take it seriously. You can't have that genuine scene of you know punch dancing your rage in a forest or whatever, or listening to Quiet Riot in your old beat up car. You can't do those things in in a movie now because the people are like, oh, well, this is trying to take itself too seriously. Well, why not? Let it take itself too seriously, fucking babies. Well, we also had a big year of TV debuts this year. This was the first year Night Court hit the air. The Remember the short-lived Blue Thunder TV series? That came on the air. The Master. Lee Van Cleef as a ninja. <laughs> Airwolf. Stacy Keach taking over the Mike Hammer role. Uh, he'd done it for a couple of TV movies, but for the TV series. My Little Pony hit the air this year. Oh, God. Punky Brewster hit the air this year. This was the that this was the debut of the Transformers. The oh, Cosby wow. Show hit the air this year. Miami fucking Vice, yes, which changed television. Tales from the Dark Side. We discussed this in the in the in the Creep Show retrospective. Tales from the Dark Side also changed television in a different way. You mm. got Charles in charge. Night Court, man. Night Court. <sighs> Night Court's another show that started off strong and went out with a whimper because it like some Those shows first four or five years are so good, though. Oh, they're hilarious. And then they tried to give John Larroquette a conscience and uh, it, it uh, half the cast left. Half the cast left. I don't know. Well, uh, what's her? Well, they uh, the the one the or no, the two two of the bailiffs. No, no. Yeah. Two of the bailiffs died, didn't they? Yeah. Like they had the they had the one old lady she died and the so other old lady died died and so then they brought in um the black lady who was actually really funny Roz, Roz yeah Roz I loved Roz she was great that was like all right well we we went through two old white ladies let's bring in a, a younger black lady <laughs> <laughs> speaking of bizarre TV decisions that involve black people do you guys remember when when Richard Pryor had his own Saturday morning live action slash cartoon show, because that no. debuted in 84. I oh, don't know. <laughs> Robin Williams was on it, because Robin Williams had been on the Richard Pryor show in the 70s. He was on this, too. It was called Pryor's Place. Somebody at CBS had the bright idea to give Richard Pryor a kid's show. You can imagine <laughs> why it only lasted a season. But then <laughs> Miami Vice. Miami Vice is the 80s as a television show. It could, yeah. it could almost be called 80s the TV show. <laughs> I right. love Miami Vice. Well, again, it's going back to 1984 truly being the year that the 80s became comfortable with being the 80s. Miami fucking Vice. Enough said. Miami Vice is great. The only bad thing about it is uh, it encouraged people to wear loafers without socks. <laughs> is that what... Do you think that is what inspired Crocs? Oh, Eesh. man. If yeesh, like we can only hope not. We we can. So, <laughs> how would you sum up 1984 as a year? Only a ninja can stop a ninja. That's how you sum up 84. Fair enough. Ah, uh, let's see if I can uh, come up with a, a quote that's worthy of it. Uh, I will kill him. I don't know. I really don't <laughs> know. There's there are so many amazing films that came out that year. I, I kind of feel like have, having a marathon with like Ghostbusters and Terminator and Karate Kid and Spinal Tap, Friday the 13th Part 4 and Red Dawn and Buckaroo Banzai and Nightmare on Elm Street and just so many f***ing amazing movies. I, I, I got I got nothing here. There's, there's nothing I could say that could properly sum it up. Miami Vice. 1984 was a very strong year. And for the next couple of years, it's not going to be as strong, but we're building up to movies themselves changing. 
because now the blockbuster format is solidly in place, and you'll see that starting to get abused more and more as we move on through the 80s. Speaking of abuse, Cecil Trachtenberg, where can people find you? Do you like abuse? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Took you a second to catch that, huh? <laughs> no, no, I was like, look, I'm very tired. If you want to see if you want to see and hear more of my shenanigans, uh, you can find me not being abusive over at uh, escapistmagazine.com, goodbadflicks.com and Twitter, Facebook, and now um, a little more often on the old Twitch channel. So if you like seeing me fail at video games, come and join the fun. Yes, yeah, see, with Cecil, I've coined the term worst person shooter. <laughs> yeah. Peter, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me uh, reviewing and talking about, in general, pretty much all of the films discussed uh, in the 1984 episode on uh, YouTube, The Cinemasochist, Twitter at Zinemas- Zinematica, at Zinematica, Facebook, The Cinemasochist, and you can find me on 1201beyond.com. Speaking of that, I'm at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Just because you weren't born in the 80s doesn't mean it's not in your neon pastel blood. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. And one nostril in the cocaine.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.